for those of you uh, who were here that day, you're saying, thank God you shortened it up because it was a long ceremony. <laughs> but I want you to know, uh, after July 31st, 1993, not only was my grandmother happy, but uh, I... Uh, followed the biblical admonition to be fruitful and multiply. Here's a picture of my two boys, David and Jonathan, who are 11 and 9, and there's uh, Martha. They couldn't be here today. Mar- or, uh, both my boys have been fighting the flu, but my, as I walked out the door, she said, she goes, oh, I so wish I could be there this morning, because this church holds a great place in her heart in terms of her whole spiritual upbringing. That's why my privilege, it's my, it's my privilege to be back here today. But, um, you might wonder, what does this have to do with our passage this morning? I hope you see in a moment that it has everything to do with the passage that Drew read this morning. But before we get to that, let me just ask another question, especially to the women who are in our audience, who have either done the ring thing or hope to someday. Uh, what would go through your mind or heart if you uh, experienced what Martha and I did on that day and Let's say on the back side of that, you come back from your honeymoon and uh, your husband, all of his friends, high school buddies, the groomsmen, they all want to hear about the, the honeymoon. And so they invite him down to one of the nightclub spots and say, hey, come on, we just want to hear about how it all went and tell us all about it. And uh, you being a loving bride say, oh, honey, that's great that your, your friends are that interested. Go ahead and go. But Unbeknownst to you, as he takes off in the in the vehicle that uh, your car, that you have he has all the work that you are going to need the next day to prepare for your job, and so you show up unannounced to get the car keys and get the work out of the uh, vehicle, and there, to your amazement, shock, horror, or whatever you, words you want to use, you see your husband in there, whom you just walk the aisle to say due to and for whatever reason he has slipped the wedding ring off and put it in his pocket Ooh, is one response one lady wasn't quite the that um uh subdued she actually stood up and she said i'd kill the guy i said well that's a very sanctified response <laughs> What is it about the ring thing? What is it about the ring? And what is it about not wearing the ring? I just was speaking with a woman recently who confided in me that her husband, after a year or two of marriage, for whatever reason, had chosen to take his off. And she was so hurt by the whole thing that she hid the thing and wondering when he was ever going to ask to put it back on again or even if he cared to find it. She said, it was like a dagger in my heart. Why is that? I mean, unless you as a couple have agreed. I mean, there are some men who have jobs where wearing a wedding ring to work is actually detrimental to your finger's health. And then, of course, you'd take that off. But, but when someone is wearing the wedding ring, it basically sends the world a message. Hey, hands off. This person is taken. The wedding ring represents, doesn't it, an outward expression of an inward heartfelt reality. That when Martha walked that aisle that day, I was basically, whether I cried out to the rest of the world or not, that when I said I do to that woman, uh, Martha, right here in this church, I was saying no to all the other women in the world and saying, um, 
this is who I'm choosing to spend the rest of my life with. And uh, isn't it interesting, if you've been paying attention to the news, if you're into the golf world like I am, I really enjoy, I've enjoyed Tiger Woods and what he's done in the sport of golf, but I certainly didn't enjoy the news a couple months ago when we found out that apparently he's been unfaithful to his wife in a number of times. And immediately afterwards, the day after the story broke, she was pictured without her wedding ring on. Before, she wore it everywhere, publicly. She was proud to be married to Tiger Woods. But on the day after she apparently wrapped a golf club around his head, um, she showed up in public without the wedding ring on. You've maybe heard it said, it's a well-known quote, that hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. I think there's something that happens in the heart of a woman when her man who she thought was her man actually then when she's not around kind of pulls that thing off and if you would opens himself up or if you would begins to flirt with others in, um, in his world. It's like a dagger in the heart. And I'm wondering this morning as we get into how and what this has to do with this morning's passage, if you've ever stopped to think about the similarity between what we've been talking about and actually our relationship to Jesus, that when I stood here on July 31st, 1993, and Pat Hartsock um, married us, he shared how this whole thing called marriage is a, it's a metaphor of Jesus and His church. And that Christ is the groom and you here at College Hill, College Hill Presbyterian, you are the bride of Christ here at, in College Hill. And that in the same way, maybe you would be appalled by a man who would take his wedding ring off and begin to flirt with others. Have you ever stopped to think what Jesus must think or feel when we show up here on Sunday morning and flirt with Him. We sing songs of loyalty to the heart. We, we've expressed uh, a sense of, I'm committed to you. But then the moment we walk outside the four walls of the church, many of us uh, find it, for whatever reason, very convenient, if you would, to kind of slip the ring off and slide it in our pocket when we show up in our Monday through Saturday world. You know, Jesus, uh, I think if He were here bodily, and, and actually there was a ceremony, and uh, Drew was actually officiating in the ceremony in terms of the marriage between Jesus and His bride here at College Hill, I think these were the vows that Jesus has made to His church, the bride. And I don't have the time to go through chapter and verse on each one of these, but I think those of you who know your Bible, you'll find or know or are familiar with some of the passages that represent this contextualization of this idea. But here's what I think Jesus, if He were here today, He would say His vow, if you would, to the church here at College Hill. I promise to be with you always as I lead and guide you through this life and into the life yet to come. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Even if you are faithless, I will remain faithful because I love you unconditionally. 
You see, when Jesus said, till death do us part, you can take that one to the bank. When your time on earth is done, I will have a place prepared for you in heaven. There I will bestow upon you my ultimate wedding gift. And I'm looking forward to getting this one. I've had eight knee surgeries. I'm telling you, I am ready for my resurrection body. Anybody else here ready for theirs? <laughs> Somebody said, growing old isn't for sissies. And I say, amen. I think Jesus, uh, you know, not necessarily a wedding ring would he offer, but he offered something far more in terms of a symbol of his commitment to each one of us that he is going to fulfill these vows. And that's when he decided as an act of his will to say, Father, not my will, but thine be done, as he offered his body, his death, burial, and resurrection as a symbol of his commitment to anyone here this morning who has said, I do to him, to anyone who's a Christ follower, to anyone who said, I believe upon you, Lord Jesus. What does it look like for a bride or a groom? What does it look like to show up in the money through Saturday world ringless without a ring on? I'd like to show you a short clip that I think is very prophetic. As I travel the world, and, and especially here in the United States, go in and out of the mega churches of 10,000 plus, all the way to the small country churches of 75 to 125, there just seems to be a growing trend of the bride of Christ being okay with the idea of slipping off the ring after they leave church on Sunday and not knowing how to show up in the Monday through Saturday world and cherish Jesus publicly. Let's take a look together and see if it resonates with you. Attention, everyone! Attention! The captain has ordered everyone to report immediately to Officer Burlow at the second level deck for an urgent rescue operation. Officer Burlow has prepared the lifeboats and we're ready to deploy. Everyone follow me. A rescue operation. Stanley, this man is dripping on my floor. My good man, Officer Brock. Let me assure you of one thing. There will be no rescue operation. But, 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 sir. Think. Do you know who takes their ship out in this kind of weather? Those who wish to remain unnoticed. So, if some group of drug runners have run afoul, I will be the last to risk life and limb to save them. Devils, all of them. But, 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 sir, this boat, after all, I is... I know perfectly well the purpose of this vessel. Do you wish to have us all killed? No, no, sir. The whole purpose of being inside such a boat as this is that it protects you from the outside. Is this not clear to you, Officer Brock? Well... Maybe. Maybe perhaps not, sir. Sorry, sir.
small 24 life boats, everything that we've got. You're bringing what, 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 six people? Yes, sir. You're aware that it takes at least two people to launch one of these boats. Yes, sir. I, so I you're am. telling me we're about to launch three life boats, a grand total of three, to fish out 76 people? Have you lost your mind? No, 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 no sir. But those people only have minutes to survive in this water temperature, and you brought me a half a dozen people. What is going on up there? Two, one, drop. You never approached them from the starboard. The whole design for the new raft is based upon you pulling them up from the stern. You want to be in 12-foot seas pulling somebody out from the stern? You can't even reach them. Trust me, I went over this thing for three weeks with Burlow. I've memorized the manual. I think you better catch up on some of your homework. Man, have you ever been on the lifeboat? Aren't you glad you're not out in that weather tonight? I think it's time for church. Sir, you are correct. The Rosemary was en route from Vancouver and filed a manifest stating a crew of 12 and 64 passengers. Can you please report on the status of the operation? Sir, this is U.S. Coast Guard Captain James Meyer. You and your crew are under orders to deploy all available lifeboats and crew immediately. Do you comprehend the situation you are in? You are their only chance. My friend, I am here to tell you, the Church of Jesus Christ is not a pleasure boat, but a lifeboat for and every hand is needed on deck. I know for some today that that bride bashing has in some ways become a sport. And I'm certainly not here to do that. But if I'm going to put off all falsehood and speak truthfully to my brothers and sisters as one who has the privilege of going in and out of so many faith communities, I have to be honest that far too often people see church as a cruise ship rather than as a rescue boat. We show up here on Sunday mornings. We evaluate our sister and her team. Did they pick the right songs for me today? Did Drew preach the way I'd like him to as long or as short as I'd like him to? And we evaluate the doggone service week in and week out. And, and you know, the idea of a cruise ship is... Uh, if you show up in one of those boats, the whole mentality before the captain to every one of his crew is, what can we do to keep the customer happy? Because at the end of the day, if people are going to come back on the cruise and invite their friends to the cruise, 
We got to keep the consumers happy. And so as a result, sometimes even the staff of, of kind of get beat into submission and say, well, what do we got to do to keep them happy this week? And the whole time we're doing that, we're missing the bigger picture. It's never been about you. And it's never been about me. It's all about the fact that we have a mission. A mission so much bigger than ourselves. To realize... That there's a world that exists outside of here. And let me ask you the question. When you invite people into this place, are they showing up? The reality is inviting someone to church today is as scary as inviting you to maybe go to a gay bar or a hardcore biker bar. That uh, for a lot of folks, the day that we used to live in where it was come and see has just gone by. Today, we have to learn how to go and be. And so how do we leave the church as the bride of Christ and show up in our money through Saturday world and learn how to engage the people in our worlds so that the same kind of thing that happened to me when I was single happens to people who don't yet know Christ. You see, when I was single and I would meet older couples... And I know you have some in this congregation because I've met some of them. You know, the ones in their 60s and 70s who are still holding hands, still have the twinkle in the aisle, still enjoy being around each other. And you say, and when I was single, I'd meet people like that. I'd go, I want some of that. I want to grow up married someday like that. That's the way it's supposed to be. There's something that they have that I currently don't have, and I want some of it. In the same way, have you ever stopped to think that if you and I learn how to cherish Jesus publicly in the same way that an older couple is, it's just something you're doing out of your heart, that others are going to want to say, you know, you've got something that I don't have, but I want some of that. Have you ever thought that evangelism is nothing more and nothing less than just simply learning how to cherish Jesus in the real world that we live in. That in many ways, the call to be an evangelist is a call to, to partake in the same thing that eHarmony is doing around the world for folks. You're really just trying as the bride of Christ to be an eternal matchmaker to introduce somebody to the eternal lover of, them, of their souls. And for some people, they're not ready for, to get married to Jesus today, but they're ready to be introduced to Him and start dating if you would or to be courted or engaged and at some point maybe you get a privilege of walking them down the aisle and say I do to Jesus I'd like to suggest to you this morning that we are spending way too much money talking to ourselves And I hate to report this, and I hope I am so wrong, but in 25 years from now, men and women, churches like yours and churches all over the country will be boarding up their doors because the day of come and see is past, and if we don't learn how to build churches without walls, then all we're going to do is have stories from the past of the way it used to be. And the reality is, you know, they... 
the statistics indicate that the average church spends $330,000 a year per convert. That is, if you take all the churches together and put all their budgets together and all the money they spend on their lights, their pastors, and just keeping the building running, and then ask the question, who is here this year who was not here last year, who was not yet a Christian last year, but has come to walk the aisle and say, I do to Jesus this year, as a result of us cherishing Jesus publicly here as the bride of Christ in College Hill. The majority of churches last year, if asked the question, could not point to one person whose life has been changed or touched or transformed by the mission of the church. And men and women, it's got to call into question, what in the world are we doing? Are we just doing church on Sunday? Is that all this is? Is a performance? Or are we actually leaving the building on Sunday equipped I think to be inwardly strong, but outwardly focused, equipped to go be the church in our money through Saturday world. That was God's original intention for the body of Christ, His bride. You see, the absence of a wedding ring calls the union into question. Even Jesus, these are Jesus' words, hard words. But this is what He says to, to us. Whoever acknowledges Me before men, I will also acknowledge Him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns Me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. Luke 9.26 says, If anyone is ashamed of Me in My words, or in light of this morning's message, when we walk out of here, if we are so ashamed and kind of pull the wedding ring off and show up as a closet Christian in our money through Saturday world, Jesus' words to us this morning is, you know, that's showing a sense of shame instead of saying, you know, if I would have gotten married here on July 31st, 1993, and then the rest of the time slip my wedding ring off and never talk about my wife, never even act like I'm married, what, what message would I be sending to my bride? In the same way, what message are we sending to Jesus when we show up in our world just not willing to talk about Him and to represent the fact that we cherish Him from our hearts. The ring is the thing, I think. And, you know, C.S. Lewis once said this about the Bride of Christ. He said that the church exists for no other purpose but to draw men into Christ, to make them little Christ. If they are not doing that, then this building, all the energy is being spent on the service, the pastor, the sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose that He left heaven to come to earth to get those of us here on earth into heaven and to bring heaven here on earth as we understood His kingdom principles. If you look at Philemon 1.6, a very, I think, a significant passage, at least to me, in light of our message this morning, we could contextualize it this way. I pray that you uh, would always be wearing your wedding ring publicly so that you may be aware and experience the fullness of your marriage to Christ. I'm not sure where you're at in your own spiritual journey, but I can tell you as one who's done most of what Christianity has offered in terms of activity from multiple just the scads of prayer meetings to church services to mission trips to 36 different countries 
to as many Christian conferences as you could possibly imagine. And, and as all those things are good and well and fine, at the end of the day, here's what I've experienced. That I can do all those things and they help me, but there's something missing or lacking in my spiritual experience when I am not willing to express what Jesus has done on the inside of my heart, if I'm not willing to publicly cherish Jesus to the people I meet, and there's something missing in my spiritual experience. And this morning, if you're sitting here and you're bored in your Christian life, could I suggest to you that maybe the missing ingredient is learning how to engage the people in your world, learning how to cherish Jesus in ways that cause them the same way I was as a single to look at married couples and go, wow, I want some of that. To learn how to do that so that others would say, wow, you've got something I don't have. Now for those that you've been married for some time, you know that there are times in every marital union where it's just challenges. There's challenges and take two selfish people and put them together. And even with Christ, there's challenges. And at times we need marriage counseling. And I think in the same way, In our union with Christ, there are times when we just need marriage counseling. What does it look like, if you would? How do we pull this off in this day and age? Because if you live in the same world that I do, I think you're going to resonate with this quote from Ravi Zacharias, where he said that in this day and age, the bride of Christ has got to learn how to find the back door into people's hearts because the front door is heavily guarded. How many of you found that to be true? And if it is, what does that look like in this day and age? A lot of people have grown weary in this work. And uh, maybe this next scene would kind of depict where you're at. And maybe we all could stand to go for some marriage counseling. Thank you for coming to Evangelophobics Anonymous. My name is Dawn. Please, don't be nervous. We are all here to help and support each other, and it's important that you feel that you are among friends. What we need to do is establish why it is so hard for you to share your faith. Donna, why do you think you sweat and stutter? Could it be a lack of confidence? I don't know. I know. I guess I'm nervous that people will think I'm a Jesus freak or some Bible banger or some crazy Christian. Mark. Your unique way of sharing your faith has me a little perplexed. Why do you read the entire Bible to them from beginning to end? I don't want to miss anything. I don't want to affect their eternity. What if something goes wrong? April, I can see you're a little emotional. Just relax, take a deep breath, and tell me why. Well, I guess it's because I I don't feel really worthy of sharing the word because... Look at all the stuff he has done for me. Gloria, why do you take the approach that you do? Well, there's no time to waste. Every soul is vital. You have to tell them the facts and make it stick. You have to tell them God loves you. Yeah, but don't you think going for the jugular is a little harsh? So to speak. I mean, if people are running away and avoiding you, could it be the way you deliver it? Look, all of you have issues such as delivery, confidence, perfection, and worthiness that are, they're all common hurdles. Why don't we do a few exercises to see what we can do about that?
I'm wondering if I, uh, after the service, took you down to Panera Bread, one of my favorite spots. We sit down and had a cup of coffee, and I said, just be honest with you, shoot it straight with me. What are your issues when it comes to cherishing Jesus and your sphere of influence? Where do you get tripped up? Are you afraid you're going to fail? Are you afraid they're going to ask you questions you can't answer? Um, Or, hey, I don't know what to say. I just don't even know how to start a spiritual conversation. We all have issues here today. And that's why I so love the fact that in a a month or a couple of months, I'll be back here in April. And uh, your leadership of this church has made it possible uh, for us to, to have a workshop kind of environment where we can address some of those issues and talk about how we can pull this off in our Money Through Saturday world in practical, doable, and authentic ways. It's, in other words, you don't have to have the spiritual gift of evangelism to show up for this thing. It's like Jesus nowhere in the Bible gives any of his followers an option out and say, well, you don't have to cherish me because you don't have the gift of evangelism. Jesus expects all of those who, those of us who follow him to cherish him in practical, doable, and authentic ways. That our hearts have always been the heart of the matter. And when you and I are loving Jesus and learning how to, to take what's on the inside, and just like the wedding ring, it's an external reality of an inward heartfelt reality in the same way learn how to do the same thing in this day and age, in this culture, so that we can actually build churches without walls. If uh, I hope that you're going to be able to join us for that. If you're not, or even if you are, I'd like to invite you to pick up a copy of a book that I wrote to, to speak to the whole topic of what we are talking about this morning. And that is how to build churches without walls, how to actually increase the quantity and the quality of our spiritual conversations how do we cause people to have the same response that older married couples did in my life i want some of that and i think you're going to find in this book god space a uh, some practical ways to pull this off in your real world um, and i'd invite you to get a copy i think they're going to be in the fireplace room afterwards You know, this morning's message is not for me just um, just a sermon to come and preach and and move on. It's it's something far deeper in that in my own heart and soul. I, uh, as I think back on my own spiritual journey, I would not be here today, at least from my vantage point, If there wouldn't have been a young man at Kent State University who cherished Jesus in such a way that a young man, myself, a cocky, arrogant uh, basketball player at Kent State University who was so full of himself, so full of pride, who felt like uh, he had the world by the tail, living the college lifestyle. But, you know, when I reflected upon the party scene and all that I was involved in at the time, a lot of times when I get honest with myself, my life looked a lot like a hot air balloon. It was colorful on the outside, but there was something definitely missing on the inside. And when I met this guy named Ed, who was a wrestler at Kent State University, I noticed that he had a spark in his eye, a twinkle, something 
there that represented a substantial difference between all the other guys I hung out with. Ed had a personal relationship with Jesus and he actually was willing to publicly talk about that. And at Kent State back in the 70s to do something like that was pretty brave, pretty courageous. But Ed didn't talk about Jesus like he was some distant stepbrother way out there somewhere. Ed actually talked about Jesus like a, a personal friend, a true lover of his soul. And it was so compelling to me, so magnetic that I would sit and listen and ask Ed questions. And for three months, we'd just sit around and talk about Jesus. He was being a, an eternal matchmaker. He was setting me up, if you would, to eventually cause me to want to walk the aisle and say I do to Jesus. And in January of 1979, I decided, you know what? I, I want to get married to Jesus. I want to say to the rest of the world, I'm taken. I have found the lover of my soul. And when I think about the passage Drew read earlier this morning, I, I just think in the, in the context of what we're talking about this morning, what Jesus was really doing there in that particular chapter is, He's setting the, the 70 up and he told them to go in, in twos. So here's 35 pairs of people going out in his name to basically let the rest of the world know, hey, I'm married. Let me tell you about the groom. Let me invite you to the wedding party. Let me tell you about the lover of my soul. And Jesus released them and commissioned them to go out and basically saying, I have said no to the world, the flesh and the devil I now have a new master. You have to understand that when those 70 went out, they were making a definite drawing, a line in the sand and saying, I have turned my back on this world. I have embraced the one from that world who is here. The kingdom of God is near. And I am here to tell you about the one who can come near to you as well. How do we do that in this day and age? When I come back in April, that's what we're going to be talking about. As I began this morning, we started with a question. And it's a question that I'm wondering if some of you who are single just tuned out and says, hey, I'm sorry, not, not my day, not my message. Oh, hold on. I, I'm hoping that after you listen to me here this morning share things that I believe the Holy Spirit wanted me to share that, that as, we, as I end my time this morning with you, I want to end with the same question. And I want you to, to meditate on this. Think about this. When you leave here today, as you think about your work week, wherever God takes you this week, can you honestly say, can you truly say in your heart of hearts that you have your wedding ring on? Amen.